0: For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Grab your seats. We'll pray. Father, we humble our hearts before you this morning now and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. As always, Lord... The past week can be plaguing us, the things that have come upon us, troubled us, frustrated us, worried us. The future lays ahead of us, outside of our control, creating anxiety and fear. Lord, this morning would you grant in this place a present sense of your presence and peace. When the saints gather on Sunday mornings across the land and in facilities like this, there is a unique work that occurs in the heavenlies. Angels and demons pull the curtains back and look down upon the church, powers and principalities in the air above, looking at us, this motley crew, This is assortment of fools who by faith have been saved through grace, not by any work of our own. And all of creation and all the angels and all the demons and all of God's people and one day, all of the universe, all of existence will shout your praise and glory and boast in your goodness. May our boast be in you. Our bragging rights, Father, have been given on the merits of Jesus and so may we Shout and proclaim and herald with boldness the joy of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. Bless, Lord, this time in this study and your scriptures. May it be a continued act of worship unto you as we receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's always at least one in every crowd. You know who it is that I'm talking about. They're bold. They're usually oblivious and somewhat ignorant. They always have the best story to be told. The fish that got away was always bigger than the fish you caught. The braggart, the one who boasts. My wife had a friend in high school who I'm pretty sure was the source of every blonde joke that has has ever been told, and and I don't want to offend any of the blondes in here. The blondes in Taproot Church are extremely intelligent, but this particular woman, she was not the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, if you know what I mean. And one day, in all earnestness, she looks at my wife and she says, do you think it's possible that God didn't give me brains because I am so beautiful? (laughs) They're bold. They're beautiful. They're oblivious. They're ignorant. We had a guy in a band that my wife and I played in and toured all over the place with, made an album with called These Days, and he was blonde of all sorts of hair colors to be chosen. He was blonde, and he was beautiful. He was extremely good-looking, and he had this buttery, Michael Blue Blay voice, and there was one time where we were doing a photo shoot for some album cover or some show that we were doing somewhere here in the Northwest, and, and this guy afterwards goes to the photographer and he says, you know, and he always talked like that as well, he had a very suave thing that he did, you know, if you ever need a model for any of your other work, I love to have my photograph taken. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just sat there and smiled and, and rolled our eyes because, Sometimes the braggart in our midst, the one who makes boasts, is oblivious and is ignorant and is unaware of how socially awkward they can be. But some of us, our bragging, our boasting is a little more subtle. And if you caught my pronoun, I did say us. We tend to be boastful as much as the bold and the beautiful and the oblivious and the ignorant. We tend to make our brags, only we're much more nuanced in the way that we do our bragging, that we do our boasting. Social media is a new platform for every braggart and boaster to present to the world their perfection subtly and in nuanced ways. We take our time to manicure our photos of our families where all of our children are in perfect order and we have perfect smiles on our faces and our hair is in perfect place and then we post on Instagram with the sun behind us shining in the glorious ethos perfectly in place saying, what a great day, my life is so wonderful. <laughs> Translation, my life is perfect and I want to present this to you. I'm better than you. Just once I would love to see somebody post on Instagram the scene where the mother is going to strangle the kid and her hair is out to here, and you've got dad with his fist in the air screaming at the top of his lungs saying, this is my life in reality. (laughs) Our boasts, our brags, I think sometimes we are oblivious to them, a bit ignorant of them unaware that we are presenting to the world a facade, a ruse, something that is not exactly true. We have to ask the question this morning, why? Why do we tend to boast? Why do we make these braggadocious claims about our lives, whether bold and ignorant or subtle and nuanced and very conscious of? Why do we do that? And here's why. Boasting is a form of worship and praise, Boasting and bragging is a form of worship and praise. The Bible says that each of us were designed to worship. We were designed to praise, meaning we were designed to give glory to, to make much of, to boast about things that are bigger than us and better than us, and faster than us, and more beautiful than us, and more wise than us, and the thing that is all of those things that we were designed to boast about and praise and worship is God, but sin has taken and deformed our worship and deformed our praise. Sin has blinded our eyes to the beauty and perfections of God. Sin has deafened our ears and dulled our hearts to the glory and the grace and the goodness of God Almighty and turned our boasts and our worship and our praise inwards to where now we worship we praise we boast about things that are bigger and better even though they're not bigger and better than god namely ourselves and that's how paul is closing this letter this morning he has distilled down the glorious gospel the good news that god though we are separated from him and have sinned against him became one with us by sending his son jesus to live as a perfect human, to do what we could not do in our place as our representative, He died our death, taking our punishment, being separated from the Father so that we would no longer be separated from the Father. He rose from the grave literally, historically, physically in a renewed body, assuring us that as we place our faith in his life for our life his death in our place his resurrection having gone before us we too now are forgiven and seen by the father as perfect human beings and our boast is now in the cross of jesus our bragging our making much of our delighting in our worship is all centered in jesus christ paul presents to us this morning a pathway to joy and it comes through biblical boasting god has given us bragging rights we are to be bold we are to be socially awkward we are to be unaware and ignorant in the best sense of those words boldly braggadociously boasting about who God is and what he's done for us. And that is our pathway to joy. That is the purpose for which you and I were born, to worship, to praise, and to boast in Jesus. So this is what we're gonna talk about this morning. What our boasts reveal about ourselves. Number two, we'll look at why our boasts always end up unbelievable. And we'll close with what biblical boasting is. Let's talk this morning first from our text, what our boasts reveal. When we're posting on Instagram our manicured family photos and our perfect haircuts and the sunlight set just right so everything looks so amazing, when we're asking those loaded questions in the midst of our peers, trying to draw from them some sort of praise, not wanting to brag ourselves but have somebody brag on us, when we're As we all have, telling the fish story about the one that got away that was, of course, bigger than the one that you caught. When we're doing that, that reveals something about us, and it reveals two things. Number one, it reveals who we want to be, and number two, it reveals who we want to belong to. What we boast about reveals who in our heart of hearts we want to be, and it reveals who we want to belong to. Our boasting reveals who we want to be in our past and in our present and in our future. How many of you guys remember Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite? (laughs) Napoleon! (laughs) Out there throwing his football in the Idaho fields, remembering the days of what could have been if only if he could have. I know guys like that. They they still live in my small town in Idaho, throwing a football around. Glorying in days, boasting in days gone by because their boasts reveal what they wanted to be and were not. But our boasts also reveal about us what we want to be in the future. We're always propping ourselves up and positioning ourselves for who we want to be in the future. And our boasts reveal who we want to be in the present if you think about who you long to be with your perfectly manicured family and your hair perfectly in place, with your bigger fish story than the guy who actually caught a fish, with your throwing of the football 20 years after you graduated from high school, what you're seeing there is that you and I want to be significant. We want to be valuable. We want to be respectable. We want to be worthy. We want to be seen. Our boasts reveal that we have an innate, unavoidable desire, and it is a holy desire for significance, for beauty, for value. The second thing that our boasts reveal to us is who we want to belong to. So if our boasts are showing us who we are, then we need to understand that our boasts are actually a form of self-creating. Let me say that again. If our boasts are showing us who we want to be, then our boasts are a form of self-creating. And we self-create in accord with, in relationship to the group around us that we think is more beautiful than us, more worthy than us, more valuable than us, more wise than us. We self-create a sense of significance in a group of fishermen by saying the fish that got away from me was bigger than the fish that you actually caught. We self-create in a group of former high school graduates at a 20-year reunion. Do you remember the game? And we kind of expand the yardage that we gained in the game to make sure that that group of peers that we're standing with sees us as significant. Boasting is a form of self-creating to create significance to give us a sense of value in the midst of the group that we consider bigger and better and more beautiful and more wise and more powerful than ourselves, and that's what these guys were doing here in our passage. These Jewish men had come in, and they had a group in Jerusalem who have come to be called the Judaizers, and they wanted to belong to that group and not be rejected. Notice the language that Paul uses there. Look, they're wanting to make boasts in your flesh, Galatian church, and they don't want to be persecuted because of the cross. They don't want to be rejected. And so this group was coming in, and in the name of belonging to this peer group that they considered wise and valuable and creating significance, they were trying to persuade the Galatian church to do what they wanted them to do so they could go back to the group in Jerusalem and say, look what I persuaded them to do. Look how valuable I am to you. Look how significant I am. Look at, I'm boasting in what I've been able to persuade the Galatian church to do. I am somebody in the midst of you, this group that I consider valuable and beautiful and wise. Now, I thought about this a lot. And as I've said many Sundays before, the Bible and Christianity is super weird. It's just super weird. Think about what these guys were boasting in circumcision of other men's stuff. Like, think about how this goes. They think this group in Jerusalem is important, so they're going back, and their boast isn't in the fish that they caught. Their boast isn't in the touchdown (laughs) pass that they threw. Their boast is in this. Guess how many guys in Galatia I got to snip off something from their private parts. What? That is so strange. And what's even stranger is this group in Jerusalem receives their boasts and says, Good job. Can we put you on a conference circuit on how to persuade people to cut off parts of their places that nobody wants to think about? (laughs) How strange is that? Because sin has deformed our boasts, now hear me, we will boast in, seek significance in, find our value in the weirdest places. Now we may think it's silly that we're talking about circumcision and these Judaizers in Galatia. But let's think about some of the silly places where we make our boasts. I thought through my own life, I'll share with you, I'll trust the Holy Spirit will give you some of your own. Weird places where we make our boasts and groups that we consider significant. For me, I confess, Seattle was the first place where I actually grew fearful walking into a coffee shop. (laughs) Why? because I don't know the first thing about coffee, but there's something about Seattle culture that says you need to know every single thing about coffee. So you walk into these snobby coffee shops where some snooty barista makes you feel like an idiot because you're like, um, could I have a mocha? And what is a, what is that? What is that up there on the sign? What does that even mean? And they look at you like, you poor fool. (laughs) (laughs) You poor sap and you feel rejected because all these people that like, can discern what type of animal walked on the ground where the beans grew as they're sipping on their <laughs> coffee, they kind of smirk at you as you're like, um, can I have just a regular cup of coffee? And you're asking the barista, trying to get an explanation, and, and you just have this sense of taking pride in your coffee and wanting to be able to be snooty like the barista, but you just can't. Beer culture is another hilarious one to me. <laughs> I love it when folks that are not like really have a broad palette of beer flavoring and beer understanding, they come up and they get in a group of guys, particularly Northwest guys, where we like our hops strong and we like our beer strong and uh, we give to them their very first, a newbie, we give to them their very first sip. Of like a double IPA of some sort of just gnarly kick you in the face hoppy beer and it's hilarious to me to watch the newbie because in the name of seeking significance with all that group of guys and not wanting to be persecuted not wanting to be rejected they go like this (laughs) and you can see their face explode as they get kicked in the face by the hops (laughs) and they swallow it and they kind of go oh man that's so good And you know they're hating life. And you know they're looking at that pint of beer going, oh my gosh, I got to drink all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Health and fitness culture. I am going to confess this to you. I can't believe I'm going to confess this to you. A number of days ago, I was literally driving down First Avenue past McDonald's, and I glanced over at the line of people in the fast food takeout drive-in of McDonald's, (laughs) and this thought went through my mind. I'm literally a better human being because I'm not in that line. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) That is so weird. Yeah, this morning I had some oatmeal and some paleo eggs, and I'm not in that line. That makes me a better human being than those people in that line. What is that? Boasting in the weirdest things so that I can have a sense of significance with another crowd, with another group, that I consider more beautiful, more wise, more powerful weird and on and on and on it goes the businessman in here is wanting to boast in the midst of his peers about his bottom line the upward line on the budget the students in here you're wanting to be able to boast about the school that you get into or the particular awards that you win as you're in your various fields of study Some of the ladies in here are wanting to boast about who actually did their hair and what type of line of clothing they're wearing. And some of you guys want to do that too, I found out, living in Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) We will boast in almost anything so that we can belong and feel significant to whatever group we consider more beautiful and wise than ourselves until God intervenes. Until God intervenes, and I hope that we can all see clearly from this first point that what the world is, is a large cacophony. It is this large chorus of boasts, competing with other boasts, trying to present to the world a group of significance and all of us trying to fit into it, until God intervenes, until God comes and silences our mouths and settles our souls and helps us to see where true significance is actually Found, Which leads us to point number two this morning. Our boasts, our boasts end up unbelievable. And I want to tell you why our boasts always end up unbelievable. God is in love with you. And our boasts are self-creating, which means that they're a facade. They're not really you. Sitting around in a group of fishermen saying the fish I caught was this big when the fish you caught wasn't that big isn't really you. It's a fabrication. It's a falsity. And God, as we've said before on Sunday mornings here through the book of Galatians, is all about making you truly you. He's too in love with who you are. You are too significant to him, too valuable to him, too worthy in his eyes, too beautiful for him to allow you to continue in these falsities, in these self-creations, in these standards of particular peer groups. And so what God does, as he begins to draw us close to himself, is he makes our boasts utterly unbelievable, and he does it by one of two ways. He either busts us in our boasts, or he makes us so tired we just kind of give up the ruse, if you know what I mean. We get tired of trying to keep up with the Joneses in our communication, in our presentation. We wake up one morning and we look at our phone and we think to ourselves, I don't have the energy or the time to manicure the kids and get the sunlight just perfect so I can post my family Instagram photo this morning. My, my boast is up. I'm too tired. If they want to know who I am, if they want to see who I am, here's my boast my kid with his cereal bowl on his head, my husband impatient with me walking out the door mad, and my hair out to here in my yoga pants for the rest of the day. That's my life. (laughs) God will bust our boasts because he loves us. Just received an email this past week from a couple who we sent to North Carolina, uh, members of our church, and they are looking to transfer their membership but they've been doing some research on this particular church that they're in, and it turns out that the lead guy at the helm of it claimed to, boasted to, have planted a church somewhere in Canada that went gangbusters, and then was sent by that church to the Carolinas to begin his gifted work again. He has a master's of divinity, highly intelligent, greatly gifted, all of these wonderful things on his resume, but as they've been digging into the church, some of the pieces have been falling apart. Some of the puzzle pieces don't make any sense, and as they've dug a little bit deeper, they've come to discern, and they've discovered that the church plant that this man boasted of actually completely belly flopped, completely belly flopped, and was a false church plant. He was actually, from what I can tell, asked to leave, and the church ended up closing its doors and dying, Uh, Upon doing some research on this man's master of divinity, he got it from a degree mill. Just went and purchased it offline. And I told them, because they were asking, should we confront this? Well, one, you need to know if you have the spiritual energy and emotional energy to tackle something like this, because he has a pattern of this. But if God is busting his boast, it's because he loves him. This man is going to have an opportunity to, to fess up and say, you know what? I've been seeking significance in the church world and I've been lying and that is the best thing for him. When somebody says, you know what, I don't believe that the fish you caught was that big, that's a good thing. (laughs) When somebody says, I'm not sure that your hair is always that perfectly in place when you put your pictures on Facebook and Instagram, that's a good thing. It's a good thing, church, to wake up in the morning and go, you know what, I'm too tired to keep up the ruse today. I can't keep up with the Joneses. I want so badly to be in that group, but I'm not going to try to keep up with them today. I'm not going to present to the world something that I'm not because God is making our boasts unbelievable. It's a good prayer for us to actually pray, God set me free from these falsities, from this self-creation. And then finally this morning, let's lay out biblical boasting and exactly what it is. What is biblical boasting? Because this is our pathway to joy, Biblical boasting this morning is your pathway to finding out who you truly are. Because remember, if our boasts reveal who we want to be, and who we want to be is somebody significant, we want to be somebody worthy, somebody beautiful, somebody lovable, somebody valuable, Paul lays out for us here the boasting that brings that reality into our lives and hearts and into the world around us. What biblical boasting is fourfold points of boasting that build joy, that are actually true to the self that God has made us to be, and that give us a sense of belonging that we're all longing for. Number one this morning, Paul says, we are to boast in the cross. Verse 14, but far be it from me. Now, this is an interesting Greek passage here. Paul is, he's using very strong language here. Paul is saying, not only far be it from me, but may I never, ever, ever again make my boast around the fishermen with a fish story that isn't true. Paul is saying, I have had such a turn of heart. My sense of significance and value and worth and belonging runs so deep in Jesus, may I never seek to self-create again in that group that I consider more beautiful than myself because I have this most beautiful God, this most worthy, powerful God who says to me, I am with you and I love you and I consider you significant and the proof is the cross. Some big words for us this morning, especially for you theological nerds. The Christian life is a cruciform life, not a society formed life. The Christian life is a cruciformed life, formed by the cross life, not a society formed life. What exactly does cruciformity mean? Prior to Jesus and prior to the cross, our significance and our worth and our self-creating was formed by what society's standards say are significant and valuable and worthy. So societal position, money, Outward beauty. All of these things were what formed our sense of identity, our sense of value. We formed our sense of worth and love based on how, in the beginning, our parents treated us, and later how our most intimate relationships treated us. Paul says here, now, post-cross, as a Christian, my life, my significance, my sense of identity is no longer formed by even my parents, even my closest relationships, my husband, my wife, my best of friends. My soul is no longer defined by who I am, is no longer considered significant in accord with what society says, People Magazine says, the movies say, my boss says, culture says, my life and its significance is now formed at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, you soul, you significant individual, you beautiful and beloved human, you can sit at the foot of the cross and have your heart formed saying, I am so utterly significant that the God of the universe would do this for me to have me. There's nothing more freeing than that. And I want to boast of that. I want to boast and brag about my position in the heavenlies with the God of the universe because here at the foot of the cross, I am made beautiful. I am made perfect. And this is now what forms my life. I am cruciformed. The cross for the Christian is enough. And much of the pain that you and I experience on a day in day out basis, the pain of loss, or the pain of anxiety, or the pain of what we experience as shame, those are all symptoms of having yet to more deeply develop a cruciform life that says the cross is enough. If I lose my reputation in the world, my reputation with God is secure if I lose my position in the world, the respect of my peers, if I don't get into that certain circle that I thought was so important, if I don't get there, it's okay. The cross is enough for me. My life, my peace, my joy, my success, my dreams, they are all formed by, motivated in, and acted out through and from the foot of the cross. And I make my boast in the cross. When I say I'm Proud of when I'm bragging about, when I say this is who I am in the midst of any circle, any society in this world, I'm able to say the cross is my boast. I'm a failure in my business. I'm a failure at my dreams. I'm a failure in this circle of friends. I'm a failure at fish catching with my circle of fishermen buddies. But I'm formed by the love of the cross, which makes me significant and valuable, which means. I can go into that group of fishermen and say, it's not really that big of a deal what big the fi- how big the fish is that you guys caught? I can walk into a coffee shop in Seattle, puff out my chest, and order the dumbest coffee possible and sound like a total idiot, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> I can actually say, you know what? This double IPA tastes like crap. I don't like getting kicked in the face by my beer. <laughs> because my significance is nigh here. I can go through the line at McDonald's and eat a Big Mac to the glory of God and go back to my paleo zone, South Beach diet friends and say, this was delicious. (laughs) Oh, this is not, don't clap for this. Don't clap for this. Don't do that. Number two, we got to get out of here. (laughs) We make our boast in the crucified world. In the crucified world, what does that mean? That means that the standards of the world set on us, it means it's dead to us. It's as if it's in the grave to us. The standards that society and our peers and significant peer groups around us say are important, it's as if it is dead to us. Ben Witherington, New Testament scholar, one of the best commentaries I've been working on through the book of Galatians says, Paul is saying his conversion to a belief in a crucified Messiah entailed an enormous transvaluation of values and an adoption of a new paradigm of what God was really doing in the world, how he was doing it, and therefore what the believer's life meant. Remember everything we've talked about from the Gospel of Mark all the way to today? Upside-down kingdom, little babies and toddlers are the best servants, marginalized and minuscule people are those who are mighty in the Lord. In the fourth and fifth centuries, have been studying church history a bit lately in a a book I've been reading. The church had become very affluent, much like the church today. Constantine had made Christianity the national religion. So the church went from being persecuted and marginalized to being accepted in culture. She became very rich and very powerful by the 4th and 5th centuries. And in a reaction to the affluence and the comfort of the church, there was a movement of Christians who literally left the cities, left the world, and moved out into the deserts. Their writings have come to be called the Desert Father Writings. One particular woman named Sincletica, she was born in Constantinople. She was born into an affluent family. She was pledged to be married to a very affluent citizen of Constantinople, a Christian man, And she had everything set up for her by the standards of the world. Money, position, security, respect, place, everything that we long for, this syncletica was going to be given. But she was plotting her escape from it all. How strange is this? If you're not a Christian, I know this sounds weird. She was plotting her escape from this. She told her dad, will you allow me to go to the Holy Land on a pilgrimage before I'm married? And in her prayer journal, she wrote, it's time to put an end to the deceit of this frivolous life. She wrote to her father, I've offered myself to the God of the universe. After she had disappeared in the Holy Land, nobody knowing where she had gone, she said to her father, do not therefore search for me any longer. You will not find me. I'm leaving here to where God will lead me. Now, as she disappeared into the desert, she prayed, I cast all my care upon the Lord, and I pray that I would be veiled from human sight. I have given myself to the desert. The world of affluence, the world of security, the world of position for Syncletica was dead. But she was discovered 28 years later, having been living in a cave by herself for almost three decades. The Abba, the monk, that found her, described her as radiant with light and holiness. She was dead to the world, and the world was dead to her. And she made her boast by her life and by her decisions. Her writings, as she's come to be called Mother Sincletica, are extremely powerful. Now, the Desert Fathers and their aesthetic lifestyle was very extreme and very legalistic in some senses, but they do serve as a grand cultural illustration, I think, for us as Christians in this very affluent Christian culture that we live in. Have we made our decision to go into our own deserts, boasting in the death of this world and its standards that we might be made radiant with light and holiness? Number three, we make our boast in the crucified world, in the cross, and in the crucified self. When we become Christians, all that we had self-created in our boasts dies with jesus on the cross it's a supernatural metaphysical mysterious reality that by faith the self-created deformed self-worshiping self-praising self-glorifying dan died on the cross with jesus and so i now glory in what i can't do the real me shines through the man who threw the football. And made the touchdown pass actually tells the truth because that man is self-deceived and dead. And the real Dan, who fumbled the ball and lost the game, lost the game, tells the truth. And I glory in, we now boast in our weaknesses. We now boast in our inabilities, in our incompetencies because they make much of what Jesus does through us This man who wrote this book, Galatians, wrote many other books which we'll be studying in this church for many years to come. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul was talking about all the hardships he had faced. He was talking about some sort of demonic affliction that had been put on him. We know from the book of Galatians and other passages that Paul probably had some sort of eye sickness. He was a gnarly looking dude, just a short little guy with a hook nose, probably bald, Boogers coming out of his eyes, always looking bad, not an Instagram favorite. (laughs) And Paul makes it a point to say at the end of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take, now, oh, the Bible is so weird. Listen to this. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ for when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's put that in modern-day tweets. I just didn't get the promotion. Praise God, I'm so happy. The fish that got away was actually a minnow. Here's my picture of it. (laughs) There it goes, swimming away, all four inches of it. Here I am in the morning with bags hanging off of my eyes, my hair out to here, my kid with a cereal bowl, and milk pouring down His head. And I I glory in this. I boast in this because you want to know why? This points everybody else to the real world that we're all living in where the mask comes off, the facade comes off, and we're able to look up and see Jesus, whose hair was made imperfect, who came to fish for men, who took our place in humiliation and shame so that we might be able to say, I am weak, I'm incapable so that we might be able to say, for every one of us in this room, whatever hardship you're facing right now, it is for you to boast about. Is it because of your incompetency as a leader? Probably. I know that's hard to hear. But that's what I preach at myself every morning when I wake up. My incompetencies, my inabilities, my insecurities, my ugliness, my, my sheer weakness, I glory in it and I boast in it because it makes me able to say the cross is good enough, the world is dead to me, and God will be made much of through this. And that's truly who I am. And there's sweet freedom in that. There's sweet joy in that. And then finally, we are to boast in the new creation. Paul says there in verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, nor how good your hair looks, nor what type of clothes you wear, nor where you live, nor what kind of car you drive, nor how big the fish was, nor whether you caught the football, dropped the football, fumbled the football, nor whether you got the position, didn't get the position. None of that matters, Paul says, but a new creation. Again, the Greek here is, it's ambiguous in one sense. Some translations make it sound personal. You are a new creation, true Other translations make it sound global and universal. You know what matters? A new creation. That's biblically true as well. We now boast in the fact that all of this self-creating that humanity has been doing, ourselves included, all of this facade is soon and very soon to be ripped off. And new creation of perfectly interdependent and dependent selves, comfortable in their own skin, in their weakness and in their incompetencies, look to and reflect the beauty and the glory and the grandeur and the awesomeness of God for all of eternity. We were designed to boast in this, and heaven and the new heavens and the new earth is literally going to be an eternal bragging of God and bragging on God, and an eternal glorying, in. not only are there no more circles of false significance that I've got to try to get into, but I am in the circle. I'm in. And if somebody is in front of me, got something more than me in the kingdom, I'll actually say, wow, I glory in that because God is good and just in doing that in the kingdom. That's our boasts. That's what we look forward to.